Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Good afternoon or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast. Happy, happy Monday, everybody. Welcome back in for another fantabulous week of Take It Easy. We've got a great show planned for you today. We're throwing things back to the Wayback Machine. You guys kind of enjoyed the story time segment from last week with the uh, Alabama running backs. So I wanted to throw it into the Wayback Machine and go back just a few years to revisit a uh, fun topic in the world of football being the Minnesota Miracle. So we'll get to that coming up later on in the podcast. And you guys, remember, we're part of the Believe Podcast Network. So download those episodes, leave those five-star reviews. It all goes to helping us find some sponsors for football season. So we will get to all that fun stuff coming up later on in the show. And we uh, might play a little game at the end. We're still waiting to see. But first, we begin with preseason NFL football coming off of a weekend where Mitch Trubisky made Bears fans totally hate everything about Mitch Trubisky even more than they already did in an odd pivot from week one of the preseason Zach Wilson dominated in the preseason but Mac Jones and Trey Lance and Justin Fields looked kind of unimpressive I mean Trey Lance and Justin Fields each had really good touchdown drives that were wowing right before the half but Overall, I think we took a a wow factor from Zach Wilson, but less so from the other rookie quarterbacks. And Easton Stick, if he makes the team for the Chargers, is definitely going to be a preseason Hall of Famer. So I really, really hope that he makes the Chargers because I want to induct some Easton Stick into the Hall of Fame. For those who have been listening to the podcast consistently over the last two weeks, you know that during a, a Stripe Hype Friday, we were making some jokes about Easton Stick and Mac Jones, and Easton Stick had a perfect passer rating, or not a perfect passer rating, 100% completion percentage in the Chargers' first preseason game. So if Easton Stick can make the team for the Chargers, Easton Stick gets to be a preseason Hall of Famer. But we'll have to wait and see for when we induct that class, probably next week, I would guess. Next week's probably going to be Hall of Fame induction week for the second half of the preseason Hall of Fame. If you want to see the first half, you can check out Tuesday's episode of the Take It Easy podcast. But the place I wanted to begin today was uh, around the Washington football team. You guys know them. They're the franchise that has been, for my money, one of the most mediocre in the NFL, if not the most mediocre in the NFL over the last 20 years. And they've had some Obvious controversies around their name change, which we talked about in detail last year, and what then I followed up talking about was that 
I felt a little guilty for not following up on the Washington football team um, sexual harassment story within their organization. And, and I was upset that for myself, we didn't follow up on that story. And now Washington is in this weird place where, yes, they still have a terrible owner. And yes, they also had a massive sexual harassment scandal last year. And yes, they are still changing their name because of public pressure. And Dan Snyder hasn't really said anything super public or he's kind of become one of the owners who's faded to the shadows a bit, like a lot of these other shadow owners in the NFL who you never really hear them speak or never hear them do anything publicly. Dan Snyder's kind of become one of those guys who's faded to the background. Um, And this is the, the weird controversy that comes out of Dan Snyder fading to the background and not having his football team, I mean, no pun intended there because they literally are the football team, having his football team do the talking for the organization, which is something that they haven't done for a while. But in the soap opera of the NFL, we find ways to talk about all of these teams. And so I'm really fascinated by the Washington football team and what they're going to do this year. But I just wanted to put that out there on the front end that it's like, we know that there's problems with the Washington football team and it's always weird to start by talking about the team when last year we didn't talk about them previewed at all because one, we thought they were tanking, and two, they were coming off of multiple gigantic scandals, and that was kind of the defining point of the Washington franchise. Did you know that the Washington football team last year ranked worst in the NFL in offensive DVOA? They were the worst team in the NFL. They finished 32nd in offensive DVOA last year with a rotating door of Dwayne Haskins and Kyle Allen and Alex Smith at quarterback. And obviously Antonio Gibson was a quote-unquote breakout running back the same way that James Robinson was a breakout running back for a crappy offense. And Washington... Finishing 32nd in DVOA offensively means that they were literally worse than the Adam Gase Jets. That Washington offensively was worse than Adam Gase's New York Jets on offense last year. So Washington ended up being literally worse than the Jets on offense last year. And their defense ranked third in DVOA last year which means that their team was one of the worst offensive teams in the NFL and one of the best defensive teams in the NFL, which is not necessarily a surprise. Like, we watched Washington last year. We crapped on Alex Smith because Alex Smith is just really boring and really one of the worst check-down quarterbacks to, to watch, and I'm tired of the Alex Smith playoff games. But anyways, Alex Smith didn't end up actually playing in the playoffs. It was Taylor Heineke and... Washington was one drive away from beating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the playoffs. So the overall point I want to get to is this. Washington, we knew they were bad offensively and we knew they were great defensively. The part that surprised me was just how wide the gulfs were, was how wide that difference was, that they were not just one of the best defensive teams in the NFL last year. I mean, only the Steelers and the Saints were better in DVOA, but they were literally the worst offensive football team in the NFL. 
So that's the disparity that helped Washington make the playoffs in a really terrible division. Just really all-time kind of bad uh, in the NFC East. Washington went 7-9 and last year, but here are those wins that they had during that 7-9 and season. Two wins against the Cowboys, who ended up going 6-10 and without Dak Prescott. Two against the Philadelphia Eagles, who, you know, were really bad last year. One against the Bengals. One against the 49ers. And then a win against the 11-0 Steelers. So their victories last year, two against a team that was 6-10, and but a lot of the Cowboys' wins came from beating up the crappy teams in the NFC East. Two against the Eagles, who won four four games, five games last year. One against the Bengals, who won four games last year. Against the 49ers, who won six games last year. And then obviously the one big win against the 11-0 Steelers. So Washington won one game against a team above 500 last year. And because they played in a division that they played so many below 500 teams, they were able to sneak into the playoffs, partially courtesy of the Eagles just tanking a game at the end of last season to keep the Giants out of the playoffs, which I don't know if there's still going to be beef over that, but I guess we're going to find out come the season now, won't we? So Washington had one of the was one of the worst teams to make the playoffs of the last like 10 years. I, I remember going back through old comical sports posts and finding a meme about how only two teams with seven wins have made it to the playoffs. And it was the Panthers from 2014. And it was whoever loses or whoever wins the NFC East. We didn't know who it was going to be at the time, but whoever won the division was going to be the second team in that group. And Washington's ultimately just made the playoffs by beating the 11-0 Pittsburgh Steelers. That was ultimately the difference between them making the playoffs and them missing the playoffs and being basically the New York Giants and in a position to draft Justin Fields, ironically. that As our buddy Blake Jude talked about before, that, was, that ended up being a bit of a loss for Washington because they didn't get a chance to draft a quarterback in last year's draft. And instead, Washington finds themselves with the rotating door of Ryan Fitzpatrick, and of course still Taylor Heineke. And Ryan Fitzpatrick, we know the, the history of Fitzmagic, where one moment he'll make your chances to win, he'll win you a game magically out of nowhere, and also he'll make your chances to win magically disappear. Ryan Fitzpatrick gives you more stability than Alex Smith, because Alex Smith was really bad at quarterback last year. Like, I cannot emphasize enough just how bad Alex Smith was at quarterback. So, you have Fitzmagic, which is at least an improvement, and they brought in Curtis Samuel at wide receiver, and he'll be a true wide receiver, too, behind Terry McLaurin, where last year, I dare you to name who the second wide receiver on the Washington football team was. You're wrong, it was Dontrell Inman. Technically, Logan Thomas gets to be the second wide receiver at tight end, but it was Dontrell Inman for most part last season. So at least they have a wide receiver too in Curtis Samuel. And I don't think that the Fitzmagic addition at quarterback is going to dramatically 
improve the offense. Now, do I think they're going to be 32nd in the league next year? No, absolutely not. But I do look at it and say, realistically, for Washington, I don't think you're going to improve by eight points or by nine points a game year over year. So let's say Washington still has a bottom third offense in the NFL. Like they're 25th in the league, shall we say, offensively this year. I mean, that would put you in the category of the New York Giants or the Jacksonville Jaguars from last year. So say that you're in that position and, you know, you get a few more points in a couple games here and there because your offense isn't the worst in the league, but it's still pretty bad. What does that say about what your team is going to be next year? Because say you still have the 25th best offense in the NFL. And say that your defense is top five again. Well, you know, hypothetically, you would win more games year over year. But then factor in that Washington has a difficult strength of schedule this year. Washington has to play a first place schedule this season. So you have the Saints, you have the Packers, and you have to play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, I think they would have had to play... Um, no, you don't have to play... No, you have to play that whole division. Whoopsies. They have to play that entire NFC South division. So they have to play the Saints, the Buccaneers, they have to play the Seahawks, and they have to play the Green Bay Packers. Then you play the AFC West this year. So you have to play the Chiefs and the Chargers, Broncos and Raiders, not that bad. And both of them are on the road, so... That's a small victory for you guys. But the first place schedule is going to make things a little bit harder for Washington next year. And if I were to pick any team in the NFL that I'd say is probably going to be about the exact same as last year, Washington is probably my pick. And this is going out on a limb because I said last year the Panthers were going to be about the same team at 5-11. and And we nailed it. The Panthers were indeed 5-11 and last year. And if I were to pick any team that's going to have about the same record as last year, Washington would be my pick at around 7-9. and nine. But I also look at that team and look at that division because the Cowboys get better just by virtue of having Dak Prescott back. Now we know Dak Prescott's now battling a shoulder injury, I want to say. Um, I can't remember exactly what it was from Hard Knocks, but obviously Dak is battling a chronic injury and coming back from a torn ankle, so it might not be the same Dak Prescott, but I have faith that it'll be pretty close to the same Dak Prescott. So just by virtue of that, the Cowboys get better. And you have the New York Giants who get better by default of signing Kenny Galladay and getting Saquon Barkley back. They improve an offense that was ranked 25th in DVOA last year. So theoretically, they should improve a little bit. Maybe their defense doesn't get better from 18th, or not 18th, 11th in the league last year. The Giants had the 11th ranked defense. So maybe it doesn't get significantly better from there, but the Giants should be a more formidable opponent, even though the Giants beat Washington twice in the regular season last year. They should still be somewhat of a formidable opponent. And so Washington, I look at them and say that I think they're going to be about 7 and 9 again or you know 8 and 9 7 and 10 whatever you want to do with the 17 game season. They also have to play Buffalo by the way because of first place in their division versus first place in that division. Yes, I think they might have about the same record as last year, but 
if their defense regresses, and there's not much of a reason to other than defense regresses all the time. It's very strange how defenses work in that way. And they've got a deep defense, by the way. Like, they drafted Jamin Davis and adds to a... They've spent five consecutive first-round picks on defense, and it's shown. Like, Deron Payne is awesome. Uh, Montez Sweat is fantastic. Chase Young's obviously the centerpiece of that team. Like, their defense is stacked. They they just signed Jonathan Allen to a giant extension, too. And they've invested all these resources in the defense. And it shows because their offense is crap. And I know Terry McLaurin's pretty good. And I know Antonio Gibson had a good year last year. But almost every team in the NFL has a Terry McLaurin. And almost every team in the NFL has an Antonio Gibson. And almost every team in the NFL has a Ryan Fitzpatrick. We don't have to pretend like it's an impressive offense. It's a bottom third offense in the NFL. I didn't know it was one of the worst in the NFL last year, but you know what? It's still going to be all right. And by the way, it's five of the last six years that they spent a first-round pick on defense because they did draft Dwayne Haskins back in 2019. So five of the last six years they've spent their first-round pick on the defense defensive line plus, obviously, um, Jamin Davis last year, and they, they got Cameron Curl later in the draft. So Washington's done a great job in drafting. It's going to be just good enough to get them, I think, to around a 500 record in this. Yes, they made the playoffs last year, but last year was a pleasant surprise for them. This year feels like the first year post-rebuild, second year under Ron Rivera, not a giant controversy looming over the entire franchise. This feels like their chance to potentially improve, and I don't know if it's going to happen the way they want it to, but I could also look at them and say, I think you're probably about the same record as last year, but you're a defensive regression away from totally falling off the table and finishing third place in an already crappy division. So we'll see what ends up happening for Washington, but... They got me thinking this weekend after watching a little bit of them playing against the Bengals, and I wanted to write a little story about it here in the A Block on a Monday on the Take It Easy podcast. All right, y'all. It's time we hop into the Wayback Machine here on a Monday and talk about the Minnesota Miracle. And we're not going too deep into the Wayback Machine here. We're only going back to 2018, but then going back a little bit further because it's necessary for context. But 2018, a.k.a. the 2017 season, was when the magical Minnesota Miracle happened of a, to put an exclamation point on a magical season for the Minnesota Vikings with the number one defense or number two defense in the NFL, I think the Eagles were slightly ahead of them or the Patriots were slightly ahead of them that season, but a really good defense and a quarterback situation that could not have been worse. But because of a semi strong offensive line and an amazing receiving core and a rotating door of Latavius Murray and Jarek McKinnon. The Minnesota Vikings found themselves a 13-win team 
with one of the best defenses in the NFL and an offense that surprised a lot of people. Like, we just got done talking about Washington and how the third-ranked defense with a 32nd-ranked offense barely got them to seven wins in a crappy division. But what was most startling about the Minnesota Miracle season was that Case Keenum actually played like an MVP. And it convinced a lot of people for a long time that Case Keenum could be a starting-level quarterback in the NFL. Not enough for Minnesota. They saw his play and recognized that they were a quarterback away. They'd had a terrible revolving door of quarterbacks for three, four years at that point where it was Christian Ponder and then Teddy Bridgewater and Teddy Bridgewater tore his ACL. So they traded a first and a fourth round pick to get Sam Bradford. By the way, that trade for Sam Bradford turned into Derek Barnett, the preseason Hall of Famer for the Philadelphia Eagles, who we talked about on Friday might get traded sometime before the trade deadline in week seven. But anyways, they traded for Sam Bradford and Sam Bradford got hurt and then it was Case Keenum, but they were waiting for Teddy Bridgewater to come back and Case Keenum ended up having an eight game win streak on the heels of one of the best defenses in the NFL and rookie Dalvin Cook tearing his ACL that season, which I had totally forgotten that Dalvin Cook was on the Minnesota Miracle team. He just tore his ACL in week four, and that was the end of Dalvin Cook's season. But anyways, so the Minnesota Miracle comes in, I think it was the, well, it was the divisional playoff, but I want to say January 18th, 2018, and in the aftermath of the Minnesota Miracle, it's been such a weird pivot for the Vikings as a franchise. Because the Vikings, since the Minnesota Miracle, have been a 500 franchise. They've been basically 500, trying to keep a core of a team together that had, you know, you could argue, two Hall of Famers, three All-Pro players, five Pro Bowlers, or six Pro Bowlers, actually. I think they had six, if you count Linval Joseph. Six Pro Bowlers on defense, three All-Pro players, and two potential Hall of Famers. Now, I don't think, I don't know if Daniel Hunter's going to get there, but has a has a borderline case. Harrison Smith, he'll probably get into the Hall of Fame. He was the best safety in the NFL for like four years. So Harrison Smith probably gets there, but Daniel Hunter, probably not. And so the Vikings had this top-of-the-line defense, doesn't end up staying together, Although they did, you know, Anthony Barr had a fun free agency where he signed with the Jets, then backed out of the deal and re-signed with the Vikings, which was really funny in hindsight when you think about it. Just really funny how that all went down. And so Linval Joseph leaves, Xavier Rhodes leaves, and the Vikings, didn't they? I think they had a a defensive end who got into some trouble Um, legally. I can't remember who it is now. Oh, Everson Griffin. That's right. Everson Griffin had some legal issues. So he ends up leaving the NFL and then I think he was on the Lions and ends up back on the Vikings somehow. But anyways, the Vikings end up going through this rotating panel of defensive players in the same way that all teams struggle to keep their cores together after magical winning seasons. It's really hard to repeat success in the NFL. 
and the Minnesota Vikings end up being no exception to it. Even as they had available cap space, they had one of the best defenses in the NFL, which again, defense is sporadic year over year, and they probably had the best receiving duo in the NFL in 2016 and 2017. Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen both had over combined 1,600 yards of offense. And so the Vikings had this dual receiver threat that was capturing the league by storm. And all of a sudden now, while the Vikings, I think, are going to be a better team, Minnesota just kind of became mediocre. And I always joke that that's what you get when you sign Kirk Cousins. You go to Kirk Cousins purgatory. But the reality of the situation is deeper than that for Minnesota. And so there's four parts that I wanted to dive into here in the, the Minnesota story. And we touched on this a little bit, so we'll start with the defense. So the Minnesota Vikings that year had Xavier Rhodes. They had Linval Joseph and Everson Griffin and Daniel Hunter and Anthony Barr and obviously the, the safety duo of uh, not Xavier Rhodes, of Harrison Smith and I want to say the guy who's on, Trey Waynes. That's who it is. Trey Waynes was the other one. And so the Vikings' defense that year was great in generating turnovers and generating offense out of defense. What does that mean? It means punts that pin teams, or punts that start their field positioning on the other team's side of the field. So three and outs deep in the other team's zone instead of letting them get out of trouble, quote unquote. Because usually when a team gets pinned inside their own 10, it's because the offense stalled around like midfield. So they were great at getting ball possession back where their team punted. So forcing three and outs. Turnovers on the other team's side of the field were key. I think they had four of them during that win streak. So it denied scoring opportunities for the other team, but also immediately set up, or it obviously turnovers denied opportunities for the other team, but it immediately set up their offense to score. And whether it was Latavius Murray having, I think it was 12 touchdowns, if I remember from research, or if it was a Thielen touchdown, or if it was a Stephon Diggs touchdown, Case Keenum got some boosts from the defense. And it's, it's not like Case Keenum was a nobody quarterback that year. And this is part two of what ends up happening is Case Keenum. Case Keenum is basically known as a fringe backup or fringe starter to a backup for most of his career. He gets a, a short opportunity in Houston during those crappy Texans teams that ended up getting the number one pick and selecting Jadavian Clowney. And he ends up on the Rams as a backup for a while with Jeff Fisher and then works his way over to the Minnesota Vikings as a quote-unquote third-string quarterback. Now, when they signed him, did they know that Teddy Bridgewater was out? Yes, absolutely. But he was just an option behind Sam Bradford, who ends up having to take over when Bradford gets injured, and because of his win streak, he doesn't let the job go. And so Case Keenum, in the span of a season, goes from being a third-string quarterback, in essence, or a guy fighting to stay off the practice squad, one of these quote-unquote career backups, like Chase Daniel and 
AJ McCarron, who, by the way, breaking news within the last couple hours, AJ McCarron tore his ACL, his season is over, and based on the who he played for we did on Friday, it looks like Felipe Franks is the backup quarterback now for the Atlanta Falcons. But anyways, Case Keenum goes from being, a, in essence, a third-string career backup who might not only might not get to be a career backup, might only get to be a quarterback for like six or seven years, to desirable free agent quarterback within the span of a year, and then since then has never been more than a fringe starter with the Denver Broncos and the Washington football team, and then ended up securing that bread by signing what was at the time the largest backup contract, backup quarterback contract with the Cleveland Browns. Basically getting his big contract as a clipboard holder after his other big contract that he got to be the starter of the Denver Broncos. And he got to start a full season with the Broncos and they went 6-10, and but this was the year that Vance Joseph had the team quit on him during the second to last game of the season. And it was just not fun all around. But Case Keenum did start the whole season as one of those rotating doors of revolving doors of terrible Broncos quarterbacks so was he supported by the franchise not in the way that Minnesota supported him with obviously that defense and those weapons so Case Keenum ends up being the guy known for one of the you know 10 greatest plays in the history of the Vikings franchise and he's doing the skull chant after completing the Minnesota miracle and it's a really like It's a freakish moment. Like, it's just a, it's a deep moment that connects the franchise. And the third part, more specifically than saying the weapons, is Stephon Diggs. Because Stephon Diggs, the guy who is forever known as the Minnesota miracle guy in Minnesota, like, that's by far the defining moment of Stephon Diggs' career both as a Viking and now over as a Buffalo Bill, as as according to Madden, the most complete receiver in the NFL, Stephon Diggs surprisingly has a fallout with the Vikings. Which, you know, you could argue it's surprising, but it's it's more just how do teams end up breaking apart in this way. And it starts with Stephon Diggs basically saying, I don't want to play with Kirk Cousins anymore. Even though when they did that the first time, Kirk Cousins went on, or the second time, because they did, at, they threw him under the bus after they missed the playoffs in 2018, the first Kirk Cousins season in Minnesota. They basically just threw him under the bus. But Stephon Diggs comes into that and basically tells Kirk Cousins to go pound sand, and the Vikings end up trading him for what ultimately becomes Justin Jefferson. And this is kind of the Vikings game plan of rebuilding their team is the same way a lot of teams idealize things is, yes, we can lose generational type players because we can't afford to pay all of them, but we can replace them through the draft with mid to low first round picks. We can replace the talent that we lose in the draft. And this is an idealized version that every franchise tries to do to remain sustainable. And the Vikings are a perfect example of just how hard it is because we can look at that 2020 draft with their two picks replacing two key positions and say they worked really well with one and they flopped on another. And hence why it's really hard to rebuild a team 
that can't afford to keep everybody in tow. So in 2020, they trade Stephon Diggs for a first-round pick, and they use that first-round pick to select Justin Jefferson. I attest that that might go down as the most even trade in the history of the NFL, because Stephon Diggs is, according to Madden, the most complete receiver in the NFL right now, and Justin Jefferson broke the rookie receiving record. So this is starting to look pretty damn even between the two of them. And for the Minnesota Vikings, trying to replace Xavier Rhodes, who they cut in 2019 to go, or before 2020 to go sign with the Indianapolis Colts, or I believe he's still on the Colts. But after cutting Xavier Rhodes, they drafted Jeff Gladney. Jeff Gladney had a rough rookie season and then ends up getting cut because of his physical abuse towards his girlfriend and a domestic violence pers- a domestic violence legal charge that leads to the Minnesota Vikings cutting Jeff Gladney. And so they still have this revolving door at the corner position that is really their glaring weak spot going into a 2021 where yes they've improved a lot in different areas and they were 6 and 10 team because of their poor defense last year. I think they ranked 25th in the league, but part of that was also to play devil's advocate Daniel Hunter getting hurt early in the season. So not great for Minnesota, but the Vikings find themselves trading Stefan Diggs and replacing Case Keenum with Kirk Cousins, which by the way, Kirk Cousins is probably the best quarterback the Vikings have had in 20 years, like going back to um, what's his name? Uh, Randall Cunningham almost winning MVP. That's and one Brett Favre season. Like that's probably the best quarterback the Vikings have had over the last twenty years. Is Kirk Cousins, who nobody knows whether Kirk Cousins is good or not, but we know he's above average. So above average is the best the Vikings have done over the last two decades, which makes sense given that. For other teams, you can name their quarterback off the bat if you know that they have a good one. For example, Dallas Cowboys, Tony Romo, above average. Dak Prescott, above average. Dak Prescott's probably better than Tony Romo was at his peak, but of course, it's a quarterback they had for a decade. You don't usually let these quarterbacks go when you have a franchise quarterback. And when you're the Vikings and you end up with five starting quarterbacks in five years, ending with the Minnesota Miracle With Case Keenum, like undoubtedly a a successful year, but your best year of a rebuilt roster was Case Keenum being an MVP type. Kirk Cousins is not actually that bad a situation under that. It's just you're overpaying for not good enough. And that's a fine choice, but you kind of have to compromise in other places. And as we just described, talking about the defense and Stephon Diggs, you do have to compromise in other places, and it's really, really hard to compromise and succeed in such a way because you're going to miss on some picks. And yes, you might get the generational talent of Justin Jefferson, but you need like three or four of them to really build a great team without having to go to the bottom of the draft because the bottom of the draft is usually where you can get those generational-type players. And credit to the Vikings, because they found generational-type players without having to go to the bottom of the draft. Like, Anthony Barr, I don't think, was a first-round pick. Um, Harrison Smith was, like, the 30th pick in the first round. 
Um, Stefan Diggs, fifth round pick, Adam Thielen, undrafted. Adam Thielen's one of the great developmental cases of the last like 10 years in football. Like he was not supposed to be what he is. Looks like Anthony Barr actually was their highest draft pick. So he was picked ninth overall. Trey Waynes was 11th. Those were kind of the key pieces of the rebuild. Um, they obviously got Harrison Smith at 29, uh, Xavier Rhodes, 25. Obviously Teddy Bridgewater was a late first, early second. So that's in there. Um, but yeah, so they, they have made some good picks in building that roster up over the years and they did it from the bottom of the first round and some value type picks. So obviously that's difficult to do and they should be commended for that because it is really hard to get great players there. But this brings us to the fourth point of the mini of the Minneapolis miracle, which is the Vikings organization. Because I have talked about this for a couple of years with Mike Zimmer. Mike Zimmer's contract is coming up, I think, at the end of next season. So he's got two years left on his deal. He's connected to Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins has two years left on his deal. And the Vikings are now four years removed. They've been 500 ever since then. They had a 7-9 and nine season, a 6-10 and 10 season, and a 10-6 and six season within the, all of this. So they've been basically one game above 500 under Kirk Cousins. As an organization, do you want to stay in the purgatory or do you want to try and improve? And I think that might start this year because they'll be in the playoff mix this year and probably play a playoff game. But you look at the Vikings from a um, front office standpoint. Rick Spielman, as we mentioned before, has been good at drafting players over the past couple years. And so if you're Minnesota... Do you want to keep Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer across a couple of years? Do you want to give them four-year extensions? Do you want them to rebuild this team when you inevitably move on from Kirk Cousins because they were hoping that Justin Fields would fall to 14 so they could draft him instead of what they ultimately did, which was trade down to 23 and get Christian Derrissaw? Do you want to have these guys running your organization for the next five to six years. Now, the Eagles just had this dilemma, and they chose to keep Howie Roseman and move on from Mike Zimmer. So there can be a one-and-two option, and the most likely scenario is Mike Zimmer getting fired and Rick Spielman getting to keep his job. But that's just because GMs usually go through two to three coaches over their lifespan, and Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman have been a great success story for Minnesota. I think Zimmer's entering his eighth or ninth year as head coach of the Vikings. And this is the thing I talked about with Mike Tomlin when people wanted to fire him. It's like, where are you going to find another Mike Tomlin? There's only six Mike Tomlins out there. And every team goes through the hiring process. And there's like a 10% chance of landing that. Now, can you do better than Mike Zimmer? It's, it's harder no question, it's harder to do better than Mike Zimmer, but I think it's more plausible than one of these other coaches who's like we universally regard as one of the eight or ten best coaches in the NFL. Zimmer's kind of on the fringe there, so I'd say it's possible, maybe not perfect, and the hiring process might not go over so well, so it might take you know two or three tries, but 
I don't know if I'd want to re-sign Mike Zimmer for the next five years. And so this is a decision that the Vikings will make in this post-Minnesota miracle world. What do they want to do with the rest of the organization? They've already been committed to, we want to remain competitive and do the best, put the best team on the field we possibly can. That's our strategy, is how can we be the best team we can be now without compromising a ton in the future? And they've done a great job at that with Stephon Diggs trades, and I think they had the most draft picks of any team in the NFL last year, which is a great way to supplement your struggling team. Now, did they get any picks higher than 23? No, they did not especially from a 6-10 and 10 season, that's okay, but it's just you're banking on a lot of, you're banking on your staff to, to hit in quantity on some of these lower picks like they've done before. Daniel Hunter was a third-round pick, so they've hit on this many times before, but this is your way to rebuild your organization and try and put the best team forward, and they've been doing it now for a half decade. We're into year four of Kirk Cousins, and they've got him under contract for two more, so you're headed into a half decade of this strategy, and the strategy is going to start pivoting at some point. It'll be interesting to see when they officially make that transition. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It easy podcast we've got episodes every single day monday through friday as well as wired up on sundays coming back two weeks from now i believe is the first wired up the week before football season begins and every football season after such make sure to leave those five star reviews doesn't have to be a nice review just has to be a five star review and download those episodes Coming up to the end of August in our first month as part of the Believe Podcast Network, and we could not be more excited to be here and supporting their get have their support as they continue to support us and our dreams and our passions and all that other fun stuff that makes me smile as I walk away here at six thirty in the morning on the West Coast after a fantabulous episode of the Take It easy podcast. We'll talk to you again tomorrow, everybody. Take it easy. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.